Hey, everyone. Welcome to After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Russ Bankson. I'll be joined by co-host Alex Wong. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Alex and I this space to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots and successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y. Com. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of After the Last Dance, aka After After the Last Dance. We're eventually going to append so many afters, hopefully, that we will have to refer to them with a little exponential number. Today, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame speeches of the primary, um, the primary Last Dance cast of characters mainly Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and Phil Jackson. I don't think either of us will cry during this episode, but it's not out of the question, right, Alex? No, I definitely have uh, my video recording on, on this Zoom call with you, Russ, in case I can turn you into a crying meme. I, I really look forward to it. And, uh, you know, I, th- I guess that's as good a lead-in as any, that you know that sort of ended up being the signature of Michael Jordan's speech, probably one of the first times anyone actually remembers seeing him cry. And I think it's funny. I think having watched the last dance, you know, and that scene when he wins the title on father's day and is on the floor, you know, sobbing the fact that that came out as a still image rather than really video with sound back then, at least that I can recall. I wonder if that had been more widely spread, if his crying during the hall of fame speech would have even registered as much. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's really funny that, you know, the quote unquote greatest player of all time is Hall of Fame induction ends up giving birth to an all time modern day meme. And, you know, Michael literally referenced the crying meme when he was giving his speech at Kobe Bryant's memorial ceremony earlier this year. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because, uh, you know, I look back and the fact that he came back with the Wizards ended up pushing back his Hall of Fame induction. And had he stayed retired in 98 and been inducted in 2004, apparently he would have been inducted alongside Clyde Drexler, which could have led to some rather entertaining green room moments, you know, or even moments in the, in the seats. I, I'm not even sure how that even works. I mean, it seems like everyone's out there, but, you know, obviously the, the Hall of Fame class has their moments when they're announced and everything else. So, I wonder with Drexler going in alongside Jordan, who that would have been more uncomfortable for. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, David Thompson is, you know, asked to introduce Michael for his induction. And I'm surprised Michael didn't ask LeBradford Smith. Is he not available? <laughs> from what I can, from what I understand, you have to be inducted by a fellow hall of famer. And from something else, I understand LeBradford Smith is not yet in the hall of fame, clearly an oversight. But um, unfortunately, leaves him ineligible for such service. It is, it is funny. I mean, obviously, Thompson was a hero of Jordan's growing up in North Carolina. Thompson was at North Carolina State when Jordan was younger. But it's interesting, like, how many different people he could have chosen from for that moment. And he went with DT rather than a former teammate like James Worthy, perhaps. Yeah, and you know, it's funny watching this back recently. This feels more like a Comedy Central roast than a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame induction speech because of, you know, all the slights and, and gripes. Or what did Michael call it? Like the logs that he threw on his fire? Yeah, um, I mean, know, I think yeah. I, I think we can safely say that Michael Jordan's speech was like no other before or since. You know, I think the traditional Hall of Fame speech is, from what I can tell, and I've watched a lot of them, is sort of a retelling of one's career, own career with punctuated with a lot of thank yous. And uh, Jordan's was kind of a retelling of his career, but it was punctuated with a lot of F yous instead. Yeah, so one of the first things Michael says when he gets up on the podium is that, you know, he was telling his friends that he was just going to say thank you and walk off as this iconic moment. I told all my friends I was going to come up here and say thank you and walk off. I can't. There's no way. Uh, I got too many people I can thank. 
um, in all the videos, you never just saw me. So Scotty Pippen. Every championship I won. Imagine if he did that. That would be, I feel like that would still be talked about today. It would 100% still be talked about. And I, I think like, you know, I went back and watched a few other speeches from that year. And, you know, he was, his class of 2009 included a couple really eloquent dudes. I mean, David Robinson, Jerry Sloan, John Stockton, C. Vivian Stringer. I mean, you know, everyone was, I don't want to use the, the well-spoken cliche, but like very gracious and very thankful. And then you have Jordan and, you know, part of me thinks he never would have just said thank you and walked off because he probably wanted to give a super long speech. I don't know who in hall of fame history gave the longest speech. I remember watching, uh, I recently watched Kevin McHale's, which is amazing. Everyone should watch Kevin McHale's Hall of Fame speech. But he references Bill Walton, who apparently was tremendously long-winded. And I can sort of get that, you know, as a, as a Grateful Dead fan that Bill is. He had to, like, sort of jam-band his speech for nine hours. So I don't know if Jordan equaled that, but he kind of made sure nothing was left unturned. Yeah, no, no, Jordan definitely had his list of gripes that he wanted to go through. But I do also want to point out that, you know, the first person he shouts out in his speech is Scottie Pippen. Um, you know, he talks about how important he is. And, you know, we've read the recent reports of how Scottie didn't like the way he was portrayed in The Last Dance. Uh, and we're recording this the day after the anniversary of the flu game and Scotty actually posted a photo on Instagram yesterday. And one of the emojis that he used was a pizza emoji. Um, you know, so uh, hopefully Scotty and Michael don't become uh, what Michael and Charles Barkley are now. Mm, yeah, no, I, I hope they're okay. I hope they're okay. I mean, I, I hope they can have words and figure it out. Although, you know, I feel like I thought the same would happen with Barkley and Jordan since they were friends for so long and clearly you know, ostracization. Did I say that right? I don't even know. But clearly that's a one-way street when it comes to Mike. If Mike cuts you off, you're just done. And I don't know, you know, Charles Barkley obviously is one of the best talkers in the game. And, you know, he can't make it right because it's all on Jordan. So, yeah, I hope, I hope Mike and Scotty manage to uh, patch things up if they need to be or, you know, not even get to that point. It's just yeah. funny, it's funny too that Mike was so Mike was the first in a three year stretch of those guys getting inducted. It was Mike in two thousand nine, Scotty in two thousand ten, Dennis in two thousand eleven, and Phil preceded all of them in in two thousand seven. It's actually kind of a shame that Phil didn't get to stand up for all of those guys, seeing the the role he played. But I kind of like I mean that that that's the David Thompson thing is one of my favorite things of Jordan's induction. Not only is he recognizing sort of his childhood hero, which is like, you know, your first basketball idol, but he was using his speech, which was obviously a tremendously watched moment to bring some more recognition on a guy who unfortunately is unfairly forgotten a lot just for, you know, whether it be his starting in the ABA or sort of the way his career unceremoniously wound to a close yeah so what are some of your favorite moments from this speech let's go through our favorite moments mm, i mean just the fact that by the time you're inducted into the hall of fame you're years after your retirement i think the idea is to like give you some time you know you can reflect on what you've done and who's helped you and everything else and jordan comes up there and is just a flamethrower and is just like you know, it's the old, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, except without the you're cool. Like, he just goes after everybody. And, you know, I, poor freaking, um, what do you call it? Uh, Leroy Smith, you know, the dude who beat him out for the spot on the varsity as a 10th grader because he was unfortunately taller than Mike. And then there's Leroy Smith. Now, you guys think that's a myth. Leroy Smith was a guy, when I got cut, he made the team on the varsity team. And he's here tonight. 
He's still the same six, seven guy. He's not any bigger. He's probably his game is about the same. <laughs> but he started the whole process with me because when he made the team and I didn't, I wanted to prove not just to Leroy Smith, not just to myself, but to the coach who actually picked Leroy over me. I wanted to make sure you understood. You made a mistake, dude. He's still ripping this dude. It's been 30 years. Like, give the guy a break. He didn't, I mean, and everything that's come out about that story since has been like, they knew Mike was talented. They wanted to get him more playing time. So they put him on the junior varsity. He quickly makes it to the varsity. You know, it's not like they cut him from the basketball team entirely. It's certainly not like his freaking friend wanted to be on the team instead of him. I doubt he made fun of him for it much, if maybe a little bit, because friends will do that. But man, to still get cooked over it now in front of like a like who's who of NBA greats, I mean, that's just brutal. If they were waiting for if the idea was the five years would let Mike mellow, they should have waited 50 years. I think they'd still be waiting now. Um, I think we got a good glimpse also into um, how Michael talks to his kids. Uh, obviously, you, you see my kids, you know, Jeffrey, Marcus, Jasmine. I love you guys. I think uh, you guys represent a lot of me, you know, a lot of different personalities. Your mom, you represent them as well. You know, I, I think that you guys have a heavy burden. I, I wouldn't want to be you guys if I had to, you know, because of all the expectations that you have to deal with. I mean, look around you. you know, they charge $1,000 tickets for this game, for this whole event. It used to be 200 bucks. But I paid it. You know, I, I had no choice. I had a lot of family, a lot of friends I had to bring in. So thank you, Hall of Fame, for, for raising ticket price, I guess. And I, and I think, like, also it's funny re-watching it after The Last Dance because some of the stories he tells in The Last Dance he first told during his Hall of Fame speech. And, you know, the one about Jerry Reinsdorf saying, well, I'll give you these 10 pills for a headache, but one will kill you. And he says, depends how bad the headache is. I think he delivered it with slightly less profanity than he used uh, on camera. And then, you know, again, Brian Russell. And it's like, you have this amazing final moment in your career, you know, hitting this shot with the follow through and everything else. And the way you talk about it in your um, hall of fame speech and in your, in your valedictory of your entire career is to roast the guy who was guarding you because he said something challenging to you once. When I first met Brian Russell, John and, uh, John and Carl, should remember this, I was in, in, in Chicago in 1994. We, I was working out for baseball. They came down for a workout and shoot around. I came over to say hello. And at this time, I had no thoughts of coming back and playing the game of basketball. And Brian Russell came over to me and said, you know what, man, why'd you quit? Why'd you quit? You know I can guard you. If I ever see you in a pair of shorts, if I ever see you in a pair of shorts. You remember this, John? And, and so when I did decide to come back in 1995, and then we played Utah in 96, I'm at the center circle, and, we, and, and Brian Russell's sitting next to me, and I look over to Brian. I said, you remember this conversation you made in 1994 about but when you, I wish, I think I can guard you, I can shut you down, I would love to play against you. Well, you about to get your chance. <laughs> and believe me, ever since that day, he got his chance. I don't know how succeeding he was, but uh, I think he had his chance. And believe me, I relished on that point. And from this day forward, if I ever see him in shorts, I'm coming at him. You know, I mean, I still look at that story from Brian Russell's perspective. Michael Jordan's retired. He comes into the gym. You're a young guy, you know, who made the Jazz roster out of out of Long Beach State. You're probably a little bit full of yourself, you know, so you're going to rip the old guy. Like, it's a good thing, on, you know, it's a throwaway line that Mike kept in his head for, I mean, God, how long? Going all the way, you know, bad enough that he kept that in mind going into the finals, but he keeps this in mind going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do appreciate Michael's knack for a narr good narrative structure, though, on his speech, you know, ending it by flaming Brian Russell, um, just as he did, um, you know, with his Bulls career, 
it's funny to me too because obviously a lot of these speeches you're running through your entire career from high school to the pros and this is what michael does as well obviously with a lot more insults than a lot of the other inductees but there's zero mention of the wizards years at all yeah which is the entire reason he's being inducted in in 2009 instead of 2004 you know it's like you'd think there'd be some mention i mean i guess like I guess anyone he was going to mention from the Wizards was going to be people he would have mentioned anyway, like Doug Collins. He probably could have thrown Abe Paul in a bone for giving him a route back to basketball, which obviously if he didn't get it there, he would have had to find another way. Although it's funny, I, I almost think like, I wonder if Abe Pollen was happy to have Michael go back on the floor, not only to buy his share of the team back, but because maybe it was safer to have Mike be a member of the team rather than a front office guy who occasionally, you know, laced him up and just roasted young guys just to do it. Yeah. And the, the other moment to me is like, he mentions he's going to thank a few people you might not think of. And it's like, oh, he's going to mention some teammates who like helped him out, who maybe he didn't give enough credit to. No, he's going to call out Isaiah and Magic and George Gervin for freezing him out of the 1985 All-Star game. Something that's it's not even been like, confirm that it ever happened. And I'm going to thank a couple people that you guys probably wouldn't even think that I would think. Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, George Gervin. Now they say it was a so-called freeze-out in, in, in my rookie season. I wouldn't have never guessed, but you guys gave me the motivation to say, you know what, evidently I haven't proved enough to these guys. I got to prove to them that I deserve what I've gotten on this level. And no matter what people may have said, if it was a rumor, I never took it as... As, as truth, but you guys never froze me out because I was just happy to be there, no matter how you look at it, you know, and from that point forward, you know, I wanted to prove to you, Magic, Larry, George, everybody, that I deserve to be on this level as, as much as anybody else, and I hopefully over the period of my career, I've done that, without a doubt, you know, even in the Detroit years, we've done that. I mean... Sure, Mike had seven points in his first All-Star game, but it's not like he got no shots. It's not like, you know, I, I don't think people looked him off all the time. Clearly, people passed him the ball. This, this was like a, you know, one of those things that I think, I think Jordan had a tendency to build things up in his head so much that he could never let them go. And, and that's kind of the sad part about it all, where it's like, you know, if you want to build it up in your head that LeBradford Smith said some shit to you like thank you or good game, and you want to use that as motivation to go out and wreck him the next night, that's one thing. But if you want to – if you take that and then like talk about it for literally the rest of your life, I don't think you're doing it right. Yeah, you know, the the running theme and the, one of the takeaways from this speech is, you know, Michael's just inability, I think, to let go of these things. And, you know, for Last Dance fans, there's also a Jerry Krause reference in the speech. So Jerry Krause is not there. Um, and, and at one point, MJ makes reference to this. And Krause actually explained on a podcast with Woj uh, a few years ago that he had made it, um, you know, a thing to not show up to the Hall of Fame until Tex Winter was inducted. And Tex was not inducted until 2011, which was two years after this. And Michael drops a quote, you know, um, he again references Jerry's uh, infamous quote about how organizations win championships. And he says, quote, I didn't see organizations playing with the flu uh, in Utah, which uh, pretty funny to me in retrospect, because it was because you ate a bad pizza, Mike. Again, like the myth sort of becomes the reality at some point. And also, you know, you would think maybe he would have had a little more perspective on that, having then been a member of the Wizards, quote-unquote, organization and having decidedly not won championships and maybe have a little more understanding about how difficult that role can be. But clearly, like, Mike just had no interest in letting old things go. To me, like, the other super interesting thing was towards the end when he says, like, don't be surprised to see me back on the court at 50. And people start laughing, and he's like, don't laugh. I really think, you know, he might have initially meant it as a joke when he thought of it, but I think at that time, at that point in the speech where he's like, he's brought up all of these old, what do you call it, battles and 
all these old nemesis. You know, I think if someone slid a contract in front of him to play during that speech, I think he would have signed it. Like, I think he would have gladly been on a 2009-2010 roster just because he was mad. And I think, like, you know, that's where it kind of comes in when that it's so sad that he couldn't let this stuff go because it's like, even when he came back with the Wizards, you know, at least he could sort of get some of that stuff out on the floor. And, you know, at this point, you're seeing a guy who still is clearly caught up in that, you know, uh, what did he call it? A competitiveness addiction with no outlet for it anymore, at least not on a basketball court. And it's just like, it's just, it's tough to watch that. Yeah. A few other things. The most unnecessary insult is when he calls Jeff Van Gundy, the little guy, the little guy who took over for Pat Riley and, you know, a huge omission, you know, when he, you were mentioning earlier when he said, Oh, I'm going to thank a lot of people that you might not think I'm going to, I thought, you know, well, where was the shout out for uh, Kenny Lattimore? Um, you know, I, I thought he should have been included, but, um, but overall, you know, I think it's funny too. Look, we joke about the crying meme, but you know, Michael has referenced it himself. He's obviously aware of it. How much do you think it bothered Michael that be, he became this global meme that was used online? I'm sure it bothered him to a degree. I, I wonder like even how aware of it, he, you know, I wonder how long it took him to become aware of it, if his assistant had to show it to him or, you know, something along those lines, you know, and just the idea that he would become a figure in that sense, you know, it's like, clearly already he was, you know, the best known person, best known athlete in the world, but to actually be used as like sort of a, in a form of derision, I, you know, I think that was something completely new to Jordan. I also, and I forget, you, you, you actually watched this more recently than I did, but do you remember, did he thank Tim Grover and Chip Schaefer? Because those are two I guys I thought, like, obviously should have gotten a lot more play. It's like, and, and I think, unfortunately, that's where the competitiveness hurts him, where it's like you spend all this time dredging up these old slights, and, like, it sort of gets you in that certain frame of mind when it's like, no, dude, like, this is your chance to finally like thank all these different people, you know, who, who did help you along. I mean, I think like, you know, Jordan more than anyone else is viewed as this singular figure, but like, if you look at all of his accomplishments, I mean, there are so many people who help make those possible, whether it's, you know, Tim Grover getting him back into basketball shape or Tinker Hatfield, like, sort of initiating him as like a, a sneaker co-designer, you know, God, Sonny Vaccaro or David Falk. Like, it's just, man, like we all saw you hit the shot over Brian Russell. Like we get it. It's cool. It's over. Like, let that go. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people that he did not mention. You know, he obviously thanks his mom, um, his family, Scotty, Phil, Dean Smith. But yeah, you know, I don't remember there being a mention of, Tim Grover or Chip Schaefer. And, you know, it would have been cool too to see him maybe, you know, spend more time just talking about his Bulls teammates and showing an appreciation for guys beyond just Scotty and, and Dennis. I mean, if I'm Scott Burrell, I'm sitting there like, man, I took all this from you for one year and you can't even, you know, include me in this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think like it was an opportunity to sort of present a more human side. And we did get that obviously with the crying, but like, I think it's even, it would have been even more so to spend more time um, thanking the people who, you know, were good influences and, you know, sort of helped you help make your time better rather than sort of the foils to all your successes who most people already knew. And yes. for their sake, like, I'm sure Isaiah Thomas wasn't psyched to be sitting there having the smile, you know, while he's being accused of, you know, freezing him out of an all-star game that took place, what, 24 years ago, or is that right? Yeah, 24 years. Yeah, that's, that's insane. That's straight up insane. Thank Mariah yeah, even, Carey instead. <laughs> even John Stockton looks really uncomfortable when the cameras pan to him and Michael speaking to him, ask him if he remembers the whole Brian Russell story. You can tell John Stockton's like, really? 
this guy's really just going to bring this up again. Like this yeah, is still something that's on his mind. Thing. Like it's one thing to talk <laughs> about the finals. Like, come on. Uh, so Scotty Pippen, like you mentioned, gets inducted the following year in 2010 and his speech compared to Michael's 23 minutes. Hey, was 23 minutes on purpose. Anyways, uh, Pippen's speech was eight minutes and he was accompanied by Michael Jordan. And he says, quote, what an honor to have an all time. Great. Introduce me tonight. What an honor it is for me as a basketball player to have the all-time great presenting me here tonight. It was such a valuable, it was so valuable to me as a player to see someone who had the same desire, determination, passion, and love for the game. Who knew that number 23 would be here 23 years later presenting me into the NBA, excuse me, to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. MJ, you have touched so many people's lives, but none like, like mine's. Thank you for being the best teammate. I will always cherish that experience, and I will cherish our relationship forever. Thank you. He talks a little bit about MJ's, uh, his relationship with MJ, obviously growing up, um, you know, his upbringing, his high school coach, um, Jerry Reinsdorf, the Bulls organization. Pretty standard speech from Scotty, to be honest. I'm not sure if I have anything to add um, because it was, like you mentioned, kind of that traditional Hall of Fame induction speech, right? Yeah, no, I think, you know, Scotty's was obviously much more gracious and, you know, even to the point of thanking the Bulls organization, even if he didn't thank Jerry Krause by name. You know, and I wonder, you know, how much of that is just the difference between Scotty's upbringing and Michael's upbringing. I mean, nothing on, nothing against, like, I'm not saying, you know, Michael's upbringing was bad. Michael's upbringing was just more normal. You know, two parents, middle class existence. Um, Scotty growing up really poor with a father who was disabled, a brother who was disabled, a ton of siblings. You know, it's like, and obviously, you know, Jordan can tell his story all he wants about being cut from the team as a sophomore. You know, Scotty went to college as the team manager in the NAIA. So, you know, Scotty, I think, overcame a lot more and was probably thankful for a lot more things. Yeah. So the following year, 2011, Dennis Rodman gets inducted. And we definitely have a lot more to talk about on this one. So he's introduced by Phil Jackson, uh, Jerry Krause. Uh, this time is in, the, in attendance because Tex Winter is part of the class of 2011. And Rodman is wearing this black jacket with pistons and bowls and rhinestones on the back. It says DR on the front, his numbers on the sleeve. Just a all-time Hall of Fame induction fit, which I don't think can be topped. And this is a very visibly nervous and emotional uh, Dennis. And he has a lot of trouble even getting started on his speech. And, and we get to find out why because, you know, this is a really uh, – personal speech from from Dennis where he really opens up yeah I mean he's wearing sunglasses he's very like you know it's sort of that ultimate combination of Dennis Rodman's you know you have the very private very shy guy you know sort of wrapped in the look at me exterior which I mean certainly makes for not only contrast but a lot of conflict I'm sure in and in himself it's like he probably doesn't want people really paying attention to him all the time with the shy part, but the outgoing part can't help it. And it's, it's funny because like, you know, if you want to compare it to Jordan and, and Pippen, you know, Jordan's hall of fame speech is all these like sort of settling of old beefs and like not even settling, just rehashing them. Scotty is more of a traditional, traditional hall of fame speech. And Dennis's, Man, I mean, it's like a therapy session. It's it's something that, and I felt this way halfway through, is like, man, am I supposed to be watching this? Like, are we, isn't this supposed to be like behind closed doors with someone taking notes and making suggestions? Like, Dennis, Dennis has no filter in the same way Michael has no filter, but Michael's is aimed at you, and Dennis is all aimed at himself. I mean, he goes through why he's a bad son, a bad parent, a bad husband. I mean, it's just like, dude, like, I, and just the difficulty he has 
actually talking about some of these things, you want to be like, you don't have to do this to yourself. Yeah. You know, a lot of it did feel like the start of conversations and not the whole conversation. Like when he's addressing his wife, Michelle and his mom, Shirley, who are both in attendance and apologizing for, like you mentioned, you know, not being a great father, not being a great husband, not, not being a great son. My, um, my wife there, Michelle, has put up with a lot of crap for me. I, I'm being honest, it's been a lot of crap for me. I just, you know, I haven't been a great father. I haven't been a great husband. And anyway, I think, you know, I can't lie about that. You know, but she's, a, she's tolerated everything for me for, for 11 years. And she's, a, she's raised two beautiful kids, I mean, three beautiful kids right there. You know, DJ with the hat on, <laughs> Trinity right there. <laughs> and Tiana right there. And she's been a mother and a father. And I've been very much appreciative of what she's done. And I, I just wish, I wish, you know, anyone say you have any regrets of, in your career being a basketball player, I said, I have one regret. I wish I was a better father. And it does feel like, you know, there are probably way longer conversations to be had between uh, him and those people. So at one point he does mention his his dad. I'd like to talk about four people, four individuals that um, that that's really have been an impact in my life. Um, I'm talking about uh, male figures. I never had a father. <laughs> my father left me when I was um, five years old. He has 47 kids in the Philippines, and uh, I'm the oldest one. And uh, he wrote a book about me in Chicago. And um, he made a lot of money, but he never came and said hello to me. So, you know, my interest was definitely piqued when I heard that, you know, his dad had 47 kids in, in the Philippines. And I had to look this up. So Philander Rodman, that is his actual name. So his, he did leave, uh, you know, Dennis and his mom when they were five. And in an article, I think this was shortly after the Hall of Fame speech, you know, he claims that Dennis's mom, Shirley, you know, told a bunch of lies about him to Dennis and that she wouldn't let, um, you know, Philander see Dennis. And he also corrected Dennis by saying that it was not 47 kids. It was 29 kids from 16 different women. And I believe you added this in our notes. He ran a restaurant in the Philippines called Rodman's Rainbow Obama burger. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty hungry right now. I don't so, know if that's still open. Yeah. You definitely need a t-shirt from that place, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. This is like, I need this and the Charles Oakley car wash from back in the <laughs> exactly, day. Exactly. This is what I need. But, you know, uh, Rodman brings up his dad in the context because he shouts out four other individuals who he considers father figures in his life. Phil Jackson, Jerry Buss, James Rich, who was part of the Rich family who raised him in Oklahoma, and Chuck Daly. And he has this great quote. He says, quote, if you cremated these four guys and made it into one, they would be a perfect individual. I can't think of a more Dennis Rodman quote. That's very Dennis Rodman. I think that would also be fairly illegal and probably wouldn't work very well, but I get it. You know, and I feel like, you know, if you, if you look back at a lot of Dennis's career, it's like he kind of was seeking a father figure of sorts. You know, even to go back to his time with San Antonio when it absolutely didn't work out, you know, you wonder if he just didn't get the support he needed when he was acting out where it's like, if someone had reacted to him in a different way, would it have made things work out better? You know, and Dennis obviously cherished his time in Detroit and his time in Chicago, you know, and his time winning championships. And, you know, that to me was the most sort of traditional portion of his speech where he talks about Scotty and Mike and a little bit about Joe and Isaiah. I don't know why he had to put one above the other. He probably could have just said they're all equally important to him and that would have been an easy way out of that. But, uh, you know, clearly Dennis does not really look for the easy way out of things. And, uh, and I want to talk about two other people, Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan. I swear, I swear to God, I, 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 you know, I, I might be downplaying um, Isaiah and Joe Dumas, but Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan, I mean, for us t uh, two duos, probably the best two players to ever play the game, to me, I, I think. That's one, two. One, one two. 
And, and you know, this guy here, you know, Phil Jackson asked me, Phil Jackson um, asked me to come to Jerry Cross's house. And he asked me, he said, Dennis, you know, um, we'd like you to come play, but you have to do one thing for me. Could you go in the kitchen and tell Scotty Pippen you're sorry? <laughs> and I, I said, you know what? Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so he asked, and he asked me another question. He said, uh, Dennis, would you like to be a Chicago Bull? I said, my exact words was, I don't give a damn. And Phil Jackson said, welcome to the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually a little surprised. I thought there'd be more on some of his bad boy Pistons teammates, uh, maybe especially Isaiah. I mean, from all the interviews I've ever watched and from the last dance too, it seemed like uh, Isaiah and Dennis had a really special relationship. But like you mentioned here, he he touches more on Scotty and Michael in his Bulls years. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the Pistons were kind of where he became who he became. I mean, I'm it's actually surprising he didn't go even deeper into some of his front court mates, you know, like John Sally and Bill Ambeer and Rick Mahorn, you know, who obviously worked around him in this uh, bad boys foul machine. But, uh, you know, I think, I feel like he was so focused on getting to, on talking about, on talking through the personal stuff that the basketball stuff kind of became an afterthought. You know, I think he spent more time, talking to his wife and his mom than he did talking about his former teammates. And, you know, this, the stuff with his mom was what, where I thought it got really sort of uncomfortable to the point of like, again, like, how are we still watching this? Not only talking about him not being a great son, but kind of about his mom not being a very good mom either. And last but not least, uh, my mother, Shirley Rodman. All right, so... I would love to set the record straight. I'm sorry they have to be on this, this main stage here. Me and my mother have never got along. And, you know, I, wasn't, I was a very good kid when I was young. And once I became to the age of 16, 18, 19, 20, I could care less what I did to my mother. And my mother worked three jobs. And she kicked me out the house and said, you have to leave here because, you, got, you know, I can't take you anymore. And I, I, I resented her for a long time. And it's, it's, it's hard for me, you know, even say it because I, my mother rarely ever hugged me or hugged my, my siblings. She didn't know how. But um, she, she managed. She managed. She worked her ass off. And I'm, I'm not like most of you guys sit there and say, when I make money in the NBA, I'm going to take care of my mother and father. You know, I was a little selfish for that. You know, because what she did to me in my life. But as I got older, you know, things changed. You know, I haven't been a great son to you at all in the last 10 years. And you know that. <laughs> we can laugh about this. But, um, you know, I haven't been a great son. Kind of like Jordan in a way, like, but in a bizarro world fashion, like bringing up a lot of things that clearly were not remotely settled and bringing them up in this sort of public space. You know, you also wondered like, oh my God, how's he going to end this? You know, where's this going? Yeah, I felt like we were privy to a conversation that maybe should have been private. Um, Another fun tidbit you know um dennis shouts out his close friend penny marshall um at the start of the speech penny marshall she's here where you at penny that shit is right there that shit is right there and she's doing my documentary i hope i be be living by then so (laughs) so what's the film being honest so she was um dennis mentioned in the speech that you know penny was following him around uh, working on a documentary uh, on Dennis. Uh, Penny passed away in 2018. And, you know, from the articles that came out at the time of her passing, she was still working on the doc. And, you know, it was reported that she had actually accepted Dennis's offer to direct the documentary because she was worried about Dennis personally. 
Um, you know, they had been friends since the 90s and she wanted to use this opportunity to follow him around and actually keep a close eye on Dennis. On IMDb and a few other sites, this documentary is listed for a September 2020 release date, although I didn't find any more details about it. And apparently hundreds of hours of interviews have been done, including these, the star-studded list, Russ. Jay Leno, Donald Trump, Isaiah Thomas, and Phil Jackson. If I told you an athlete was working on a documentary and it included Jay Leno, Trump, and Isaiah Thomas, uh, pretty sure you would guess Dennis Rodman 100 times out of 100. <laughs> and I hope, I mean, I guess Trump is going to talk about North Korea. I, I don't know. I mean, I've certainly reached the point and reached it a long time ago where I don't want to see Den Donald Trump talk about anything. So, uh, you know, I look forward to the documentary. I don't know if I look forward to his part. I do remember, it's funny, like I, my strongest memory of Penny Marshall is seeing her in LA at Laker games where she was inevitably like sort of looking around for a cigarette. She would definitely retire to the, uh, wherever she could smoke like at halftime or whatever. There's also a moment in the last dance where you see her on the baseline wearing a Rodman game-worn jersey that obviously he tossed her at the conclusion of the game. So I would like to see what she comes up with through this because I think she definitely had some insights into Dennis that probably a lot of other people weren't necessarily privy to. Yeah, so to, to wrap up the episode, uh, we're going to chat about Phil Jackson's uh, Hall of Fame induction speech, which came before everyone's in 2007. So I was wondering when I was watching this, and I didn't know this, I had learned this through the research, I was wondering why Phil was being inducted while he was still coaching. At first I thought it was because, I mean, he had won those three championships with the Lakers and, and then retired after and took a break before he came back again um, to, to coach the Kobe Pau Gasol version of the Lakers. I thought maybe because he had retired from the Lakers, you know, uh, time had passed and he was going to be inducted. So it turns out, you know, if you're a coach, um, you can be inducted either after you've been number one, fully retired for five years, or two, if you're still active, as long as you've coached as either a full-time assistant or head coach on the high school, college, or professional level for 25 years. So basically, Phil Jackson just was successful enough and old enough that he was, uh, it was time for him to be inducted. Yeah, and that's the thing, like most coaches then, obviously if you get inducted into the Hall of Fame as a coach, you've probably been successful for a long time. So you know, chances are good if you're going to be a Hall of Fame coach that your induction is going to happen when you're still active. I mean, among, among the class of 2007 with Phil Jackson was Roy Williams, who also was still coaching. Yeah, and you know, this is, I think along the same lines as Scotty's induction speech, this is a more traditional speech. Uh, Phil is introduced by his former teammate, Bill Bradley. And I like that Phil shouted out his CBA uh, and Puerto Rico teams. After a stint there with the New Jersey Nets, I left to head coach for a few years in the Albany Patroons and then Puerto Rico with the Cabrillas team and with the Isabela team. Those were times when um, salaries were $20,000 a year. Times were pretty tough, but I felt that being a head coach was probably better for me and my personality than staying with the NBA and being an assistant coach. And I think it paid off. After I came back to the NBA, I was fortunately hired by the Chicago Bulls. It was on Doug Collins' staff. And that gave me two years of a graduate degree in basketball history. With Tex Winter and Johnny Bach as assistant coaches, they're two elderly gentlemen, one from the East Coast, one from the West Coast, taught me all the basketball that they could remember and all the basketball they knew. I got a great education. My thanks to Jerry's, both Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause, for trusting in a person that was inexperienced to take over the Chicago Bulls team that roared to some great successes in the decade of the 90s. It was a result, of course, of the magnificent play of Michael Jordan, who had the insight to incorporate his teammates, those lesser angels, into his realm. Also to Scottie Pippen who is a dynamic duo alongside of Michael Jordan. Both of them great offensive and defensive players. He obviously gives a lot of credit to Tex Winter and Johnny Bach. Uh, you know, even shouts out Jerry Reinsdorf and, and Jerry Krause. And then my favorite quote from him when he was talking about Michael Jordan was, you know, he talked about how Michael had the insight 
to incorporate his teammates, and he refers to those teammates as those lesser angels. I'm, I'm sure uh, Mike's <laughs> love to hear that. I'm sure Mike loved to hear that. Um, you know, I thought it was cool that he had Bradley introduce him, you know, to go all the way back to his time with the, with the Knicks, where, I mean, as he mentioned in his speech, you know, he was injured for their first championship year and was basically a de facto assistant coach to Red Holtzman that year. You know, and then it's interesting because, you know, he's on the Knicks as kind of this counterculture kind of guy and then goes off on this long and winding road that leads him to the CBA in Puerto Rico before eventually, you know, with Jerry Krause's sartorial advice, being hired as an assistant with the Bulls. But by the time of his induction, you know, it's like, I feel like Phil had kind of left that whole persona so far behind, you know? By that time, when he'd won his championships with the Bulls and won championships with the Lakers, I mean, yeah, sure, he did the meditation thing and everything else, but, you know, he was pretty much like in the old guard at that point. You know, it was hard to imagine a Phil Jackson in the 80s who would have been seen as as too radical um, to even be an assistant coach on somebody's staff. Yeah, and a few other things from the speech. Uh, at one point, he refers to Dennis Rodman as the court gesture of the Chicago Bulls. And Charlie Rosen, who's in attendance, uh, you know, he, he's another person who made an appearance cameo. On the last dance, Phil refers to him as the most prolific basketball novelist of this era. I can only hope that we one day get referenced in a Hall of Fame speech in this way. That is a super bizarre uh, descriptor, and I am curious who else even is in the category. I feel like Mike Lupica wrote a basketball novel at some point. I I don't know about you. Basketball novels are... The words basketball and novel, it's funny. Those are two things I like very much and something that I don't really like when they're combined into one. (laughs) I don't know if I've really read something that I would consider a basketball novel that really stands out. You know, I mean, I've read like The Basketball Diaries. I read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I think has a scene of them playing basketball, but... You know, an entire novel about basketball, I, I don't really know if I'm ready for that. Basketball novel is like a, is like Utah pizza. <laughs> you can like both, but not together. Yeah. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. You know, and Phil actually goes down. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, he had like his family stand up. I believe it was like his daughters and they both had newborns at that point. You know, he then reads a poem from his son. and or recites it. I don't think he even read it. I think he actually memorized it for that situation, which was a a very Phil thing to do. The only thing I'm disappointed in from it is that he didn't read it on paper and then put it in like a bucket on stage and light it on fire. I think like if Phil Jackson's speech needed anything, it needed more like Native American-esque props. You know, it's like, Bring out like a, I, I don't even know what. I don't want to say the wrong thing and um, be insensitive. Yeah, um, you don't want to say Phil should have uh, put the people in the audience through his famous Indian drill is what you're saying? <laughs> Smoke out the entire the entire auditorium. That would have been good. Also, also that, that MJ speech that he read at that last team meeting, I guess cell phones weren't prevalent back then. Like, did anyone take a photo of the poem? Like that poem just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. We never, we never got to see that. You know, I wonder if you, uh, I wonder if you hypnotized enough of Jordan's teammates from then. You could pull all of it, even if it was just a piece at a time. Come on, like Steve Kerr has to remember that. <laughs> no, that's true. So that covers the Hall of Fame speeches for the main cast of the last dance uh wondering if there's anything else you want to add before we wrap up russ trying to think of anyone is there anyone even remotely last dance connected who's not in the hall of fames yet who should be you know tex was tex obviously was one one of the later guys i mean i have to even look um i did not quite do my homework here but i wonder like which of the other assistants have gotten in you know it's like whether a frank hamblin or a johnny bach 
you know, some of those guys are probably deserving. I guess player-wise, they're close. I'd have, man, yeah, I'd have I'm to look this up too. This yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'll, think. I'm, uh, well, I mean, I guess Steve Kerr will eventually get in for his coaching as well, right? Right. Did But Tony Kukoc hasn't gotten in as a player, has he? Yeah, that's the one I'm wondering about because they would consider his – international resume as well yeah because Vladi Divac is in the hall of fame and Vladi didn't have nearly the NBA success that Tony did yeah he did he has not he's not in and I mean I think you can make a case for him if you're going to they should do it sooner rather than later yeah he was he was interviewed about it earlier this year and he said that it's not a big deal it means much more to me that I played alongside Michael Jordan and won NBA titles you think Michael Jordan made him say that yeah, uh, we should we should uh we should get another source just to make sure it wasn't Michael who gave that quote. Yeah. I, w- I would like to see a collection of the X Bulls NDAs, or it's like the opposite of an NDA. It's like a DA. It's like you have to mention me whenever you talk about your career. Yeah, it's just a, sh- a shame that Jerry Krause isn't around to induct Tony Kukoc into the Hall of Fame, because Jerry would talk for like an hour, and then Tony would talk for like five minutes. Yeah, well, this might be a whole separate podcast. We won't actually do it, but like, I mean, Jerry Krause maybe has a case for being in basketball and baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, he mentioned that himself when he talked to Woj uh, a few years ago. I mean, he he's done a lot. Um, his his baseball career is fascinating. It is fascinating. I and I had, I had somehow I don't know if I forgot or if it just wasn't made a big deal of. Or he was just so far behind the scenes being his sleuth self that I didn't think about it. But the fact that he worked for the Mets for so long is like, wow. Like, who did he uncover? Yeah. So that does it for us for this episode. As always, you can find every episode of After the Last Dance on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform that you use want to give a shout out once again to soul savvy for giving russ and i the opportunity to talk about michael jordan the bulls and anything after the last dance related and we'll be back on the next episode in the meantime i'm going to go work on my hall of fame speech and figure out who i need to uh get revenge on yeah i'm gonna go on uh bon appetit actually i can't they're canceled i'm gonna go on eater and uh look up the best pizza in utah the sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days as soon as you try to purchase the shoe is out of stock if you want to improve your skills you need to learn the tricks of the trade be smart and get equipped with the right tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want soul savvy the exclusive sneaker community.